Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Live from the Vegas Strip, welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi and we're thrilled to be broadcasting from the Strip thanks to our new flagship station, KMZQ, 670 AM in Las Vegas. Today, you'll meet Deborah Richards, a creative visionary and storyteller with over 30 years of experience in the digital arts. And as always, our team of Vegas contributors are here, including your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, who will explain the demise of coins in Vegas. Mr. Big is here with the Vintage Vegas Crime Blotter, along with the Wizard of Odds, Michael Shackelford, who will talk about betting at the sportsbook. Tiger Todd, the creator of Hero School, is here to explain how homelessness became part of our culture. And finally, nutritionist Melissa Anderson keeps touting fiber even at your favorite buffet. It's one thing to try to talk about issues that are challenging and so forth and preach a social message. It's another thing to actually do it. We've got somebody here who's really taken on a tremendous effort and really excited to talk to her about it. She's a four-time Emmy Award winner, which is something, and a longtime Vegas resident as well. Her name is Deborah Richards. And uh, Deborah, first of all, great to have you here. The new movie, which should be coming out shortly, Move Me, No Mountain. First of all, when is that coming out? Is that uh, later this year? Well, it's, yeah, it's coming out later this year. We're uh, in post-production right now. Um, so the next stages, we have to deliver it to the distributor, and then they kind of, uh, you know, see what's going on in the, in the landscape of films, and they kind of calendar it in and figure out the release date. So it's scheduled to come out sometime this summer, um, but I won't know when until a little bit later on in the summer. We'll, of course, tell everybody when that's close to be coming out, because it's an exciting uh, project here. Talk about a, a, a difficult social message to deal with. You're talking about somebody who just kind of gives everything up. Kind of tell us the story of Move Me, No Mountain. Sure. It's about a real estate agent in Las Vegas called Jenna Anderson. And she um, basically, she, she can't get over the guilt of her daughter's death. So she decides to punish herself and kind of peace out of society and voluntarily become homeless on the streets of Sin City, Las Vegas. Yeah, and that's a really interesting look because it's not the story of somebody who all of a sudden had some ill, you know, some illness. Obviously, she's got some difficulty because of this, but this is somebody who's voluntarily does that. Somebody who was a success. It's really, uh, and I think this happens more often than we realize. Yeah, well, what's interesting about it is um, in order to deal with the uh, subject matter with authenticity and dignity, um, we partnered up with Las Vegas Rescue Mission, and um, they basically set up a lot of interviews for me with uh, people that, that used to be on the house that, that are now off the streets. And so I got to speak to a lot of these people, um, you know, and, and get their first-hand accounts. And I didn't want to 
you know, there's so many reasons why people become unsheltered. And I didn't want to, um, you know, portray unsheltered people as just, you know, drug addicts or drunks. There are so many reasons why people become unsheltered, whether it, whether it, it, it's, um, you know, their home burnt down in a fire in California through no fault of their own, or whether they're veterans dealing with mental issues, or, or whether they, they are addicts, or whether they are, um, you know, people that are punishing themselves, or there's a whole host of reasons. And so in this movie, we wanted to depict all those different reasons. So all the unsheltered characters that you meet in the movie all have different reasons for, for being on the streets. So we felt that was the most authentic, uh, or, or, yeah, um, authentic uh, way to, um, you know, portray the subject. And the word that keeps coming out is dignity. And, I, and boy, with this subject, it's just so easy to drive by people and say either it's their fault or, or otherwise just, ah, oh, that's too bad. Life can be hard and move on. You kind of got into that. Everybody has their own story. And what, what a better way to, to do it than to really go to the rescue mission and talk to the, not only the people that work there and understand and deal with this, but also people that are actually there. Was, was that important? You wanted to take... Uh, Make this really authentic, I guess. Oh, absolutely! In fact, we um, we also partnered up with Shine a Light Foundation, who do um, not a lot of people know this, but there's 700 miles of uh, storm drain tunnels in Las Vegas, and while there's a population of about 30,000 unsheltered people in the city, about 10% of them, like about 3,000, live in these underground tunnels. And when you're work- walking on the, on the, the famous Las Vegas Strip, your feet are literally four feet above people's heads that are living underneath you. And so I spent a lot of time in the tunnels, um, meeting people, um, going out and giving out supplies and stuff, and hearing their stories, and, you know, sharing a cigarette and, and treating these people with dignity, like you say, um, to get these, you know, authentic stories. Back with more in just a moment from Deborah Richards, who has worked as a writer, director, editor, colorist, sound designer, production designer, and camera girl. Time now to visit with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. This week, Scott and I continue our look at dumb things happening in Vegas. This one concerns pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. Well, here's a dumb thing. Casino stopped giving change. Now, I, I actually have a bank that did that, too. I don't get it. Uh, I guess it's growing up in an era where, you know, you made things balanced and so forth. How are they doing this? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a slow creep. Uh, in the beginning, they claimed there was a change shortage. So these kiosks where you, you know, you get your, your Tito voucher out of the slot machine, you put it in these kiosks, you get paper currency and coins. That's been the tradition. You get the money that is due you. Well, when there was a change shortage, now they stopped doing the change. And a few places said, hey, you want to donate your change to charity? That's cool. Or we'll give you a voucher, uh, a Tito voucher for your remaining change, which you could either put back in a slot machine, that's a good idea, or go to the cage and get your money. Well, now it's evolved to the point where there's places that actually don't give you even the voucher. They give you a receipt. You don't have the option to put it back in the machine. You can't combine them because uh, that's always the thing to do, right, is you get 10, yeah. 10 of these change vouchers. You combine them through the, through the kiosk and get your money. Now you've got to literally walk to the cage. Well, that doesn't happen. People are just throwing these receipts on the ground. So much breakage, as, as it's called in the business. 
Um, the casinos keep 25% of that breakage. The rest goes to the, to the Nevada like general fund. But it is such an inconvenience. There's no coin shortage anymore. It really They did it under the cover of the pandemic because coins cost they're, they're a pain in the neck. It's the reason we don't see coin slot machines anymore, for the most part. It's because they're a pain in the neck. There's labor costs. The, the equipment breaks down more frequently. It's, it's just a pain. So they use the first opportunity, the first excuse, to literally nickel and dime uh, people. And I think it was one of the dumbest things that's happened in Vegas. It's just an annoyance. It doesn't matter if it's 23 cents or 4 cents or 10 cents. That's my money. I've probably already lost some. I want my change. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to have have to go to the cage to get it. Thanks, Scott. Make sure to visit Scott every single day at VitalVegas.com for the very latest on Vegas happenings. That's VitalVegas.com. For great classic sports, it's Sports R-A-C-X, which is available on radio stations nationwide and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports R-A-C-X, short for Sports Rock and Tours. And later today on Sports Rock and Tours, we continue our conversation with longtime referee Joe Crawford. And with Baseball in Flux, we talk with former National League president and great player as well, Bill White. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, Coast to Coast on the Talk Media Network. If you love great sound, you'll love Oontz speakers. Oontz has been making great speakers for over 30 years, and now they've developed these cost-effective, great-sounding Bluetooth speakers. Meet Troy, one of the idea guys. Hey, Troy, how can I get these? With two-day free shipping, go to theoontz.com, T-H-E-O-O-N-T-Z.com. Be seen, be heard. Go to theoontz.com. That's T-H-E-O-O-N-T-Z.com. You hear Mr. Big every week on this show. Now Mr. Big invites you to visit him online and save some money. All his books are now on Kindle, and he's got a variety of books, fiction and nonfiction, including The Life and Times of Frank Balisteri, books on casino games, and much more. You can buy the Kindle and save even more money. Go to MilwaukeeMob.com. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-979-4317. 800-979-4317. That's 800-979-4317. Did Louis the Coin really soak the sheets with red wine in Rome? Yes. Did he really tell a federal court after testing positive for cocaine in his 70s that he only used coke for sex? Yes. Well, you can get these tales and more in the great book, You Thought It Was More, Adventures of the World's Greatest Counterfeiters. It's available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at louisthecoinbook.com. That's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at louisthecoinbook.com.
Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Deborah Richards, whose work over the decades has spawned from the dawn of the digital audio revolution as a musician and studio engineer to consulting, directing, and creating for some of the largest brands in the world today. And, and so many of the um, stories in the movie uh, are actually true stories that happen to someone, you know, um, on the streets. And one of the things we're really excited about is uh, 10% of the proceeds of this movie uh, is going to go to four local charities that, that have a direct impact on those most at risk in our community. That's fantastic. Because I, I, I think it's things like this. you got to understand these stories and so forth before you can even really address the problem. Everybody talks about it. Everybody has, has issues with it. Nobody likes to see it. Yet you got to know what, what you're up against. And I think that's really kind of understanding the situation. Well, yeah, we, we, we have to. Otherwise, otherwise it's, it's kind of offensive if you're just, you know, talking about... If, you, if you're talking about the Holocaust and, you, and you've never, you know, spoken to a Holocaust survivor or done your research, then it, 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 you, you're just, you know, it, it, it's not fair to the people and it's not fair to the subject. So we wanted to be authentic. I wanted to get it right. Um, but that's one of the, the hardest things about being a writer and a director is, is empathizing with these heart-wrenching stories and, and putting myself in that position for months of writing these stories and researching this and stuff and it's um you know it, it had a heavy impact on my own mental health because i'm trying yeah. my hardest during the writing phase to, to empathize and to and to go to these dark places and and to put myself in these dangerous situations just so that you know we could be as authentic as possible um so it was a really interesting process and um you know we're very very proud of the movie and i can't wait to share it i'm excited to see it now you know another thing you did too which uh a lot of people may not know about, but I think it's fascinating. You got predominantly females cast, which you don't see, and you also have representations even behind the camera. That's a really important thing. Again, a lot of people talk about getting a woman's point of view and so forth. It seems uh, to me this is a really important thing. Was that something that you intended to do even before you took on the project? Well, I mean, you know, I I, I can't help but, um, they say write what you know, so I can't help but draw from my world, right? And in my world, there are a lot of women, and there are a lot of people of color, and there's a lot of variety. I think that's one of the beautiful things about Las Vegas. It's a very, very diverse place. Everyone is here from somewhere else. So it's a lot more um, diverse than maybe other parts of the country. So. Um, my stories are very Vegas-centric, so I, I can only write what I know, and what I know is diversity. Um, you know, I grew up in the Middle East, in Bahrain, where I was in the min- minority. So um, so it, it's very easy for me to, to see the world through diverse lenses, if you like. But we're, we're extremely proud of the fact that we were recognized for our gender parity by being awarded the Reframe Stamp by Women in Film and the IMDb. And this is a really prestigious um, award that recognizes gender parity um, above and below the line in front and behind the camera. And only 100 movies a year get this really, really um, very prestigious award. And some of the other movies include Wonder Woman, uh, Shape of Water, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Nomadland. So we're, we're in really, really good company there. And it's also um, 
you know, considered like a, a, a mark of quality. So we're very excited about the representation in this movie. Yeah, you know what else is exciting? I look at your background and I think you've got a fantastic background because you understand every part of this. I mean, you're a writer and director, but it, it's much more than that. I mean, you, you got into all the stuff, whether it's color, sound, you're involved in all these different things. I would imagine that has to help too because you're seeing the film kind of in, in your mind, at least, in kind of a finished aspect, and you know all those things are just so important. Well, I wish I could say that, um, you know, the, 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 the finished movie is exactly how I envisaged it. There's, there's this thing in filmmaking called the gap. Mm-hmm. And the gap is um, what you envisage the movie versus what you end up with, you know, on, in the can, so to speak. And, and it's the goal of every filmmaker to try and squish that gap as much as possible, right? You know, I'm, I'm constantly, um, you know, striving to do that and to grow as a filmmaker. But, um, you know, I've, I've always been a crafty and resourceful filmmaker, and that's, that's why I was given the opportunity to make this, this speech film. Um, but, you know, it's, it's always been out of necessity. Like, when I decided I wanted to be a director, I didn't have anything to direct, so I had to write something. And then once I made it, then I was like, well, who's going to edit this? So I had to learn how to edit. And I think as a female filmmaker, I've often had to fight for my seat at the table. And, and the best way that I've been able to do that is just know as much about every single department as possible and get my feet wet in as many different departments. And as a result, I've won awards in, um, I think, maybe six different departments. Um, in, including four Emmys for, for um, writing, directing, uh, editing, screenplay. So, um, so I'm a really kind of all-rounded filmmaker, and I think that's, you know, what I bring to the table as far as a, a, a visual storytelling. More with Deborah Richards in a moment. Deborah is originally from England and is a former five-time world bartending champion, a four-time regional Emmy Award winner, and longtime Las Vegas resident. Time now to look back to the days of vintage Vegas with Mr. Big, and today, a chain of hotels from the past is the topic on the table. You ever heard of the Argent Corporation? Well, they're part of Las Vegas history. They own some casinos, and there's a lot more to it. So let's ask Mr. Big. uh, Tell us about the Argent Corporation. Well, the Argent Corporation has a firm place in Las Vegas history. The Argent Corporation kind of takes us from the days the mafia being involved to the days where big business became involved, all kinds of things. You can say kind of one group of thieves for another group of thieves, perhaps, if you want to be that cynical, as I am. Right, but the interesting thing with Argent Corporation is it was controlled by a man by the name of Alan R. Click. You may have read about this man in a book called, or in a movie called Casino. But some of the book is true, some of it not so much. But the most interesting thing is that some people believe that Mr. Click was nothing more than a passing that was set up by the mafia. Other people believe, such as myself, that Alan Click had much more control of what was going on than this government because my guy, Frank Rarissure, was a good friend of his. Frank's sons would both go to work for Mr. Glick. Now, why would you hire two people who have such important jobs as your corporation counsel and not do a background check and maybe probably discover that, hey, their dad might be part of the mafia. You might want to think twice about this. Interesting questions. Questions we'll go into more as we develop 
more of a situation as it comes to my good friend, thankfully now dead, um, Mr. Glick. Thanks, Mr. Big. Remember, we open the Vintage Vegas Crime Potter every week here on Vegas Never Sleeps. And in the meantime, you can check out everything about Mr. Big at MilwaukeeMob.com. He's got a great list of merchandise, books, what have you. Check him out at MilwaukeeMob.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchi nationwide on the Talk Media Network. I'm Peter Pavone, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm chatting with Deborah Richards. Now, as a filmmaker, her passion lies in emotionally connecting the story to her audience. Well, that, that, that talks about you as a person. I mean, I find it fascinating. Five-time world bartending champion. <laughs> uh, I mean, so that, that must be something, too, because, again, I, I would imagine a lot of people might rest their laurels on something like that. But it, are you just one of those people, Deborah, that are just kind of a perfectionist and you want to get to the bottom of every part of everything that you do? You, you know what I think it is? Um, one of my heroes is Steve Jobs. And he had this habit of, of, of not accepting the world the way it was and bending and shaping reality to suit himself. And I, I subscribe to that. And I encourage other people to do the same. Well, and would you tell somebody that says, like, well, I don't want to go out to Hollywood and just go to uh, some of the big studios and hang around there? It sounds like your recommendation would be more of a thing is learn your craft and you don't need to be there. I mean, you've managed to, which we're happy to see, you, you, you do this all from Las Vegas. We love that. Yeah, and like even, even this idea about going to Hollywood, I would much rather bring Hollywood to me. I don't want to leave Vegas. I love Vegas. I've been here 22 years. Um, I'm proud of this city. I'm proud of the people here. And I have a, you know, a, a deep love and connection to this town. So, you know, when people say, hey, you should move to Hollywood, it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to bring Hollywood here instead. And that's what I mean about being that kind of person that just shapes reality to suit myself. I want to talk about one other film from last year, uh, Dark Lights, which is a different kind of film. Talk a little about that, because that's, a, a, as I understand it, right, is a short film, and that is available to see now. Yeah, so so Dark Lights really um, catapulted me into the spotlight. Well, actually, I, I won four Emmys in 2016 for a short I did in film school at the College of Southern, uh, College of Southern Nevada. And I think at the time, everyone just thought it was a fluke. And to be honest, part of me thought it was a fluke as well. <laughs> and, you know, winning those awards, I was very arrogant. I dropped out of film school and I was like, this is it. I'm going to take Hollywood by storm. And, and I didn't. I, it, it took me quite a while to, to figure out, you know, to figure out what I didn't know. And, and as a result of that, I made this short called Dark Lights, which is a, um, kind of like a, uh, a, a cyberpunk neo noir horror. Set in Vegas, and um, 
it's just a 10 minute short, but it, it's, it's really visually appealing. It has like 70 BFX shots in it, and it goes from the, the most glamorous um, heights of high rises in Vegas to the, to the scummiest corners of the dirtiest streets downtown. We got them both. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, we got them both, but it, it explores that dichotomy. And that came out in January last year. It yeah. then went to receive uh, like 40 honors at film festivals and a whole bunch of awards. And it just came out on Tubi um, just like last week as part of this feature anthology called The United States of Horror, where each short in the film represents a different state in America. And we got to represent Nevada. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's really cool is our short is the first short in that film. And the whole film is narrated by Pinhead from Hellraiser. So that just came out a couple weeks ago, and that's getting a lot of attention. But it was because of that short that it it brought all the attention and it brought me the funding to be able to make Move Me No Mountain. We can't wait to see uh, Move Me No Mountain. And in the meantime, we can see Dark Lights. And you say that's on Tubi. How do we find that? T-U-B-I, right? Yeah, Tubi. It's a free streaming service. Um, So you can just go on there. I don't think you even have to create an account. You can just go on to Tubi.com. And start watching movies, and if you look up the United States of Horror, then Dark Lights is the first short on that. So that's where you can watch that. But if you want to get advanced notification about Move Me No Mountain and, and um, you know, get, get information about uh, advanced screenings or even just watch a little teaser trailer about it, mm-hmm. if you go to the website MoveMeNoMountain.com, you can see a 15-second little teaser trailer for the film. Uh, but you can also put in your email in the pop-up. And then you'll be the first to know about um, advanced screenings and red carpet opportunities in Las Vegas. Oh, I think that's exciting. I think everybody needs to do that. You know, one last question as we talk about this stuff. Was financing difficult to do? Because I know that's always a problem with this thing. But, of course, you come out, you have a great reputation, which always makes it uh, a little bit easier. But is that always a challenge with these kind of things? I think it was the single hardest thing I've ever done in my life, raising the money for the movie. It was um, it's such an interesting experience because um, it took me about uh, four months to raise the $200,000, and um, I went through hell with it. What, what's really strange about it is no one wants to be first to the party. No one wants to be the first person to put money in. But once you get to like 60, 70, 80,000, then all of a sudden people are crawling out of the woodwork to give you money. It just makes no sense. Um, but it was a very, very difficult situation because I think for the first like two months, I was stuck on $5,000. And here I was telling Hollywood, telling the world, telling my friends, telling my peers, yeah, I'm making this movie in a couple months and it's going to be great. We're going to raise all this money. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, Holy smokes, I got five grand in the bank. <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my biggest fear was that I was going to end up with like professional egg on my face. You know, so there were, um, there were some, uh, you know, a couple steps forward and then one step back. And, and what's crazy is the movie was financed by about, uh, I think, like nine people. But to get to those nine people, I had to pitch it to like 200 people. And, and it's not just like you do the pitch and then they give you the money. It's like, um, you get a hold of someone, you ask them for the email, then you send them the materials, and you check up a couple of weeks later. Then they, you know, eventually get around to checking it out. Then they say, let's have dinner when it comes to town. Then you go to dinner. Then they leave town. Then a few months pass, and they come back to town. You go to dinner with them and their wife, and then they say no. <laughs> and, and so you go through that process, like, literally hundreds of times, and you're at different stages of that process with different people. So it was extremely extremely difficult and it put me extremely out of my comfort zone but um ultimately you know looking at the project from the beginning it was just like this 
uh, it's funny to use the um, to use the analogy of a mountain because of the movie's title, but it really was like this giant mountain in front of me, and I was like, how how am I going to do this? And now I'm on the other side of it. It's so empowering to know that I've, I've conquered, we've made the movie, and, and now people are lining up to give me money for the next movie. But so. see, see, that's great, and, and that's a great lesson for any filmmaker too. That hey, you know what you got to do. You know, in addition to learning all those parts of it, you got to learn that part because without financing, and it's like anything else in the in the arts, you got to you got to find somebody because you can't do it on your own. You know, unless you're you're born into a multi billionaire's family, you're not going to be able to do that on your own. So oh my gosh, Seymour makes the dream. Work. I mean, there was over 100 people involved on this movie. And, um, you know, you got to remember, it's a movie business. Half of that is business. And so if I don't create a value proposition for my investors, and if I don't create a, um, y- you know, a good return on investment yeah. and, and get them their money back within a reasonable amount of time, and if, if I don't do all of those things, they're not going to want to finance my next movie, and then I'm out of a career. So I had to backwards engineer it to ensure um, you, you know, we would achieve one of the two goals, which is, um, you know, for it to be a financial success by making at least two times its negative cost and for it to be a critical success. So those are the two goals of the movie. So I had to reverse engineer the whole thing to make sure that I would fulfill those goals. I think I, I think we can't wait for this. So move me no mountain. We're going to keep an eye on that. We'll let people know on the show. Uh, and if they want to find out more about just you, uh, isn't you have another website, don't you? Uh, is Debbie and Pink, is that right? Well, actually, yes, it's just a website, but I mean, the best way to get to know me and, and to get in touch with me is just follow me on Instagram at Debbie and Pink. That's uh, D-E-B-B-I-I-N-P-I-N-K, no E in the middle, just Debbie and Pink. And um, yeah, that's my Instagram. I'm pretty active on there and share all my, 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 my life as a, as a movie director and all the behind the scenes stuff. And, and uh, you, you know, I just kind of share my life and what the reality of it is to, to be a, a full-time film director. Well, you've got a fascinating life and you're a very successful one. We will follow you all the way through this. Thank you, Deborah, for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to share the movie. I think people are going to get a kick out of it because they're going to see Vegas like it's never been shown before on film. You know, usually in, in these kinds of movies, in Vegas movies, you just see them inside of the casinos. We show every nook and cranny of the city and all of its, uh, you know, glory and, 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 and shame. Really excited to share it. And thank you so much for having me on air. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchie, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.
You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps. We are talking with some of our regular contributors. Up first, the Wizard of Odds, Michael Shackelford, is here to help you with betting at the sportsbook. You know, you say you research it. I mean, is this a matter of pulling up statistics going back in history? There's certainly a lot of that information out now available to anybody that wasn't forever at one time. Well, my whole philosophy with sports betting is I do not handicap. I trust that the over-under and the point spread are accurate because that's where everybody's pouring the money against. And I think the market is pretty efficient at pounding those lines to where they should be. So, uh, So I have a very complicated program where I put in the the over-under and the point spread, and it's going to tell me what to expect from that game in terms of any given prop. So I, um, however, if, if there were a prop like, will so-and-so score a touchdown, then I am going to look at his particular history. I'm going to look at what ratio of touchdowns by that team are scored by him and how many touchdowns can I expect that team to score in that game, which I can easily get at given the over-under and the point spread. What about hometown favorites? You know, one time, I remember going up to Reno, and when the 49ers were good and the Raiders were in Oakland, generally speaking, the odds were a little out of whack, where you could get a better deal betting against those teams. And down in Vegas, it was the Rams uh, in Los Angeles and so forth. Now you got the Raiders actually in Vegas, but I'm getting the idea from what I've seen that it really doesn't make a difference anymore. Yeah, I, I agree. There, so much of... So much of the money bet in sports is by betting is by a small number of people betting huge amounts of money, and these people generally don't have team loyalties. They look for where is the good value, and so yeah, I I agree with you that don't expect everyone in Vegas to say that the the LA teams. It's it's it, it that's just not going to matter. Now I will say though that um, with with the public they do like to bet the favorites and they do like to bet the overs. So there is a little bit of value in betting the unders and the underdogs. That's fascinating. That's not give you an advantage, but it's much better than doing the opposite. Well, yeah, and it sounds to me like, so if you just really, you want to go have fun, you don't really care about it, you don't have an interest in the game itself, it sounds like the playing the under, I guess people just have a natural tendency to go over, so it's to your advantage, whatever amount that is, is to go the opposite way. Right. I mean, I think the average square recreational sports better likes to bet on the better team. You know, he likes to see his team scoring touchdowns, and um, that, that, I think that's just human psychology. So it always pays to be a contrarian in sports betting. Think, what is the average Joe ahead of you in line probably going to do and bet the opposite? If you go into a sports book, is there any advantage to, like, put- you know, looking at the races, the horse races and stuff from all over the world, is there some advantage to that at all, or is it is that just strictly like, like playing a slot machine in a way? Because eh, who knows? You probably got better odds than the slot machine, but that's about it. Yeah, betting the horses is not something I know a lot about. There is a big cut that the track takes of at least 17%, and it is really hard to beat that takeout. And if you must bet the horses, just bet the, the plane bets, the win place in the show, because with the exotic stuff like the Exactas and Quinellas, many tracks take out an even bigger percentage of those. And, you know, I have heard secondhand of people doing okay betting, betting the horses, but 
I don't know how they do it. It's something that I don't, I, the number of people I know personally that claim they can beat the track is zero. Thanks, Michael. And make sure to check out Michael's great website, wizardofodds.com. He's got everything there to improve your game. That's wizardofodds.com. Time now to continue our conversation about fiber as part of our new segment, Desert Health, with nutritionist Melissa Anderson. This is Vegas, which means buffets. So how does all this work together with this unique Vegas activity? The easiest way to go about portioning out meals that you have control over. So like that's the great thing about buffets, right? You can totally decide what you're going to get and how much of it versus a pre-plated plate, uh, meal, you know? So the, it's something called the plate method. Basically, there are a lot of ways to do it, but the, the most cut and dry plate method is that anytime you're creating a meal, you want to make half of your plate vegetables okay. and like the low carb vegetables. So it's most of the vegetables are low carb. So you like zucchini and radishes and lettuces and spinach, all your greens, asparagus, broccoli, cauliflower, tomatoes, blah, 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 blah. Can't get a huge baked potato in there, huh? <laughs> that would go on the carbohydrate quarter of your plate. <laughs> so yes, you can, but not on that side. Yeah, you're right there. So yeah, the, the, a quarter, the other half of your plate is divided then between carbs and protein. So that's going to allow you to have a really nice balance of foods but still get more fiber. I know it sounds really nerdy. You're going to go to Vegas and eat lentils, but <laughs> they're probably tasty there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And they're a really good source of soluble fiber. And, you know, a lot of people think that um, fruits and, like, salad are the best way to get fiber, but really you'd have to eat a lot of salads and fruits to get enough fiber for the day. So adding in, like, the... Lentils and legumes and things like that are really important. People are all going to want to hit the dessert side, and I know a lot of that <laughs> stuff, you know, depending on where you are on your fitness journey, uh, yeah. you may want to watch it. But there's some things that are pretty good, isn't there, that people can grab from that side of the uh, of the buffet? I, I always like to say that the things that, across the board, foods with fewer ingredients typically are a better idea. So without being too boring, you know, things like berries and nuts are going to be a really good idea if you did like something really indulgent but in a slightly smaller portion like ice cream or cookies or cake or um, brownies and then augment them with a whole bunch of berries and nuts or seeds and I know there's something I'm missing I'm not thinking of but um, you get the idea so put more of that healthy stuff that has fiber in it and and actually t truly tastes good with it Thanks, Melissa. We'll talk more about the fiber lifestyle with Melissa again next week. Now, last week, we started a weekly look at one of our biggest challenges, homelessness, with one of the few people who actually has answers that work. His name is Tiger Todd, and his organization is Hero School. I remember growing up, we knew there were people that were on the streets, but there wasn't a lot of that. And then all of a sudden, the 80s pop up. There's a lot of these uh, conversations. Hey, you're one paycheck away. For, I, I always remember that. that They used to do an yeah. HBO special. You're one paycheck away from being out on the streets and so forth. It, was that sort of picking it? I don't know if I want to say acceptable, but, but making it part of the culture? Because I don't know about you, but I always thought, well... If I ever got to that point, I had a plan. I mean, I really did. Like, well, yeah. okay, we can go somewhere. I'll go somewhere where it's easy to get a basic job. I'll save up. I'll be able to do this. And this was saying, like, no, no, this could happen to anybody. 
Well, yeah, yeah and, I, and I think, um, like uh, like many have pointed out in some of our top audiobooks and uh, bestsellers, is that marketing has created more problems in society than the actual, you know, genesis of a problem. And so uh, it was a great sales pitch to say everyone's, you know, one paycheck away or look at how horrible it is these children are raised in this environment. Look, when you and I were children or even when we were young and hustling in our first jobs, we didn't know. We didn't know if, you know, the way our parents treated us was good or bad. It's just what it was. We didn't have anything to compare it to. And so unfortunately, plant, you know, you do. I, I love your choice of the word culture. Because when we're talking about a culture of homelessness, we're talking about a series of learned behaviors picked up along the way and then reinforced to where they think that is society. And so everything that comes through their eyes, ears, hands, you know, wallets, ends up being something that reinforces that, right, or angers them if they don't get it the way they want it. And, of course, our idea is to change the culture. And back to, you know, back to you and I hustling our jobs, right, we had a plan B and plan C, right? If I can't do this, I'm going to go do that, right? We never thought, well, that's the end, right? Right. <laughs> I better start, you know, picking up my spot behind, the, you know, that shopping center or in that ditch or, you know, under that freeway overpass. You know, so so it, we have to really be conscious, right? We're in a, this this business culture world, right? That culture is everything, and yet, what's the disconnect in those same people, or at least the people in, you know, in in government dealing with social services, that they cannot see that it must be um, a competitive culture or alternative culture um, that leads to this. More with Tiger Todd of Hero School again next week. In the meantime, learn all you can about Hero School, igniting rapid and lasting changes with the homeless, houseless, and hopeless at the speed of movies. So visit heroschool.us. That's heroschool.us. Coming up next to Sports Rock and Tours, go to Sports RACX wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports RACX. It's short for Sports Rock and Tours. And please follow both Vegas Never Sleeps and Sports Rock and Tours on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you Vegas Never Sleeps. Oh, Vegas, here we go! Yeah.